Hey, it's Avishak, and you're listening to the Stop Being Confused About Health podcast, where our goal is to discover the deepest truths about health, bust myths, connect to nature, and figure out what kind of ice cream we're allowed to eat. So I hope your curiosity is as strong as my sweet tooth, because there are a ton of questions to be asking. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, it's Abhishek here, and this is the first episode, official episode of the podcast. I mean, it's the second one, but it's called episode one because the first one is an introductory episode. So if you haven't checked that out, go check it out to learn about the intentions of this show. Now, when I was thinking about how to start off this show, the truth is I actually didn't think about it. There was an idea that popped into my head, and I said, this is exactly what I want to talk about because what I want to illustrate to you guys is that no matter what the organization is, how credible you think it is, humans are human and they're capable of making mistakes. So in this episode, we're going to expose the American Heart Association for bad science and learn a little bit more about the language people use and learn more about bias. Someone's stance is often influenced by their goals. And when we look at the wording and language they use, we can get a better perspective on what the truth of the matter actually is. So that's what we're going to do in this episode. Now, you may be very familiar with a, a report released last year by the American Heart Association on coconut oil. It was called Dietary Fats and Cardiovascular Disease, a Presidential Advisory from the American Heart Association. It was a really uh, funny name, honestly. And this wasn't really a study. It was more of just an opinion piece based on studies that they felt were the most adequate studies in determining whether or not saturated fat causes heart disease. And this report uh, got famous because they clearly said in the report, I quote, a recent survey reported that 72% of the American public rated coconut oil as a healthy food compared with 37% of nutritionists. This disconnect between lay and expert opinion can be attributed to the marketing of coconut oil in the popular press because coconut oil increases LDL cholesterol, a cause of CVD, and has no known offsetting favorable effects. We advise against the use of coconut oil. End quote. So people got really pissed off at this, especially a lot of bloggers who uh, are sponsored by Nutiva, which is a company that makes coconut oil. Also, their use of lay and expert was pretty funny because they're basically saying that, you know, if you're not an expert, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And there's a huge disconnect between what nutritionists recommend and what the American public thinks is actually healthy. This is really important because as a consumer, as a patient, as you know, a health enthusiast, whatever you label yourself as, whatever others label you, you have to understand that you actually can figure out all of it on your own. It is important to always have help, have mentors and do your research and work with other people, respect other professionals. But the days of where the doctor knew everything uh, and the patient just had to go to the doctor to get the information, those days are far gone. So you have the ability to look up things and figure things out for yourself and think for yourself. And I think their use of lay and expert uh, really speaks to this their lack of connection, I guess, with the public. 
these guys aren't the influencers. These guys aren't the people blogging. These are the guys who just release reports like this, think they know what they're talking about. But when we look at the actual science, we'll find that their report uh, doesn't hold up. So uh, a lot of bloggers called out the AHA, including Food Babe, Dr. Mercola, uh, Dr. Axe, plenty of other people. But what no one actually did was analyze the studies they cited. Uh, a lot of people said these studies are all from the 1960s, but I didn't find any reports looking into the methodology. And maybe this is because these studies aren't uh, ac accessible online. You have to go to a library and look at these old books to figure it out. So that's what I did, and I found some information that was just jaw-dropping. I'm going to walk you through the report and just show you what the thought process was for them and what they missed. So their report had three central claims. The first claim was that saturated fat raises LDL cholesterol. Now, why is this important? Because the AHA promotes cholesterol-lowering medication. So if they can hold on to this belief that saturated fat will cause lipid problems, then they can continue to profit from selling these drugs. So that was the first argument. The second argument they made was that replacing saturated fats in the diet with PUFAs or polyunsaturated fat would reduce atherosclerosis and cardiovascular mortality, both in primates and humans. The third claim they made, it wasn't really a central claim, was basically disregarding two important studies that found the complete opposite which was that increased PUFA consumption, increased heart attacks. Those two studies were the Sydney Heart Study and the Minnesota Coronary Experiment. They ignored those studies because they claimed that the PUFA sources they used were margarine, which contains trans fats, which all the studies have shown definitely increases mortality from all causes, as well as cardiovascular disease. To back up these claims, they found four core trials. They labeled these trials as core trials because they formed the core of the argument, and they felt that these trials uh, had the strongest evidence to support their claims. Now, these four studies were, one, the male veteran study, which was published in 1969, two, the Oslo Diet Heart Study, published in 1970, Three, a trial with soybean oil published by the Medical Research Council in 1968. And finally, the Finnish Mental Hospital Study, which we're going to focus on, the results of which were first published in 1968, then in 1972, then 1979, and then 1983. And there was a ton of data in that study to go through. And this study does not support the AHA's claims whatsoever, but they adamantly held that it did. So what I did was I went to a local medical library and I found this report in the stacks. I read every single word of it, analyzed it, wrote a few thousand words on it on my blog, which I'll uh, link to in the show notes. And this is how the study went down. So the Finnish Mental Hospital study employed a case control design, which means that every participant served as their own control eventually. So this study involved two hospitals that comprised were comprised of mental health patients who are on all kinds of drugs, which uh, the AHA ignored conveniently. The two hospitals were designated N and K. So the study took place over 12 years. And for the first six years of the study, Hospital N went on a diet consisting of more saturated fat and Hospital K stayed on a diet with more polyunsaturated fat. Then for the latter six years, they switched. So Hospital N switched to the PUFA diet and Hospital K 
went to a saturated fat diet. Now a little more specifically, the fats in the control diet were mostly saturated fat with 50 to 60% of those fats being saturated. In the PUFA diet, 35 to 45% of the fats people ate uh, were polyunsaturated. Now I'm looking at my blog post here as I'm recording this and I don't have the exact macronutrient uh, breakdown, but that's not important. What is important is they did keep the total fat content relatively similar as best as they could. The really cool thing about this study is they included a table with all kinds of foods that the participants ate and they separated into each diet group. So basically in the higher PUFA diet, which they termed the serum cholesterol lowering diet or the SCL diet, the control diet was abbreviated the norm diet. They added more this weird uh, milk thing drink where they basically substituted some of the fat and milk with soybean oil, which was really interesting. But they also consumed more margarine, which was really interesting, specifically soft margarine. This is something I had to look up because I had no idea what the difference between soft and uh, common margarine were. But in each hospital, there was a different amount consumed. So during the um, first six-year period, Hospital N got way more calories on the serum cholesterol-lowering diet from soft margarine. And the norm diet uh, ate twice as much common margarine. And this pattern was the same for Hospital K, where when Hospital K went on the serum cholesterol-lowering diet, they ate more soft margarine. But then when Hospital K went on the norm diet, they ate way more common margarine. And in fact, when Hospital K was on the SCL diet, they ate no common margarine. So how important is that? Because the AHA did complain that the Minnesota Coronary Experiment and the Sydney Heart Study uh, used margarine, and they found the exact opposite of what they wanted. But, you know, in this case, it was pretty much the same thing. So there was an article from the New York Times in 1984 talking about the different kinds of margarine. That was my source for figuring this out. But essentially, common margarine is a hardened product, which means it's more saturated. And this happens when the PUFAs basically become hydrogenated because hydrogenation is what separates a PUFA from a saturated fatty acid. A saturated fatty acid is fully hydrogenated. All the carbons in the fatty acid chain have hydrogens in it. There are no double bonds, no kinks in the fatty acid chain. In PUFAs, however, there isn't as much hydrogenation. So the process of hydrogenation makes the fats more saturated in an artificial way that our bodies don't recognize, and it also hardens it. So coconut oil and lard, for example, are, are two products with a lot of saturated fat, and they are harder at room temperature than olive oil or walnut oil, which have more uh, mufas and pufas. So what that essentially means is that this common margarine or this hard margarine is the bad stuff with all the trans fats in it. The soft margarine isn't the one that has as many trans fats, and that's the one people were eating more of on the serum cholesterol-lowering diet. So specifically, the figures that are provided in, from this article show that they consumed 18 grams a day. Hospital K consumed 18 grams a day per person of the bad margarine when they were on the saturate the low saturated fat diet the PUFA diet they consumed 44 grams a day of the soft margarine now in hospital N they only consumed 5 grams a day of the common hard bad margarine 
And when they were on hospital and was on the serum cholesterol lowering diet or the PUFA diet, they ate only two grams a day of the common margarine, but 29 grams a day of the soft margarine. So going from two grams to five grams, it's not a lot. But in hospital K, they went from zero grams on the quote the you know the polyunsaturated fat diet to 18 grams a day of the bad margarine on the saturated fat diet. So a lot of the saturated fat they ate came from these foods. Um, now, granted, they did eat more fat from other sources as well, like cream and cheese and butter, uh, which is really important. But this could potentially be you know, a confounding variable. So here were the results. As expected, cholesterol levels went down in the serum cholesterol-lowering diet for both hospitals and went up once the participants in each hospital switched to the controlled diet. There's a really beautiful figure illustrating this uh, in the post. They also measured the adipose tissue concentration of linoleic acid, which is an omega-6 PUFA that is commonly found in vegetable oils. A lot of people say it's healthy. A lot of people say it's not healthy. A lot of people say you should avoid it. I think in moderation, it's fine if you eat nuts and stuff like that, cook with it a little bit. And they used this as a marker to test that people were sticking to the diet. So when they were on the higher PUFA diet, they should have seen an increase in linoleic acid in the adipose tissue. That's exactly what they saw. And that's important because when you're doing a study, you want to make sure that your intervention is something that people actually stuck to. So that seemed to be the case uh, for this study. They also looked at the fatty acid composition in people's fat, uh, which was really, really cool. I think that would be an awesome thing to be able to do at home. You know, I don't know if anyone's doing experiments like that, but uh, that's pretty damn cool. But most importantly are the coronary events. That is the most important thing. And unfortunately, the total number of events was pretty low. So they specifically looked at death from cardiovascular disease, but they also measured heart disease by looking at changes in the electrocardiogram indicative of heart damage. Now, in the 60s, their idea of this wasn't the same as it is now, but a lot of the changes they looked at in different aspects of the ECG still match up today with different uh problems going on in the heart. But regardless, they broke it up. They broke up the outcomes in a few different ways. They did a hard analysis where they only looked at the most important variable, which is death from coronary heart disease. Then in the moderate analysis, they looked at deaths from coronary heart disease, as well as major changes to the ECG, the ones that are most indicative of uh, a problem. And then in their final analysis, which was like the intermediate analysis or like a soft analysis, they looked at all kinds of different ECG changes plus the coronary deaths. Now, the reason why they did this is because in the hard analysis, just looking at coronary deaths, there weren't a whole lot of deaths uh, in this in the 12 years. So without a whole lot of deaths, you simply just don't have enough data to work with. But regardless, this is what they found. In hospital N, during the serum cholesterol-lowering diet period, remember each diet participants went on for six years, there were four total deaths from coronary heart disease. During the control diet, there were five deaths, so no significant difference whatsoever. However, in hospital K, remember this is a hospital where they consumed more trans fats on the saturated fat diet, their results approached significance. The p-value was 0.06. The cutoff is 0.05 for statistical significance. 
And what they found was that during the SCL, serum cholesterol-lowering diet in Hospital K, there were two total coronary deaths, but during the NORM diet, there were seven. Furthermore, in their intermediate analysis where they factored in ECG changes, they did find more uh, abnormal changes in the NORM diet, both for Hospital N and Hospital K, but it was only significant in Hospital N. Regardless, this might seem a little tedious, but the point is they didn't have a lot of statistical significance. There were only three values out of the nine different analyses they looked at that uh, were at the level of significance or below. So it's not even the strongest study. They don't have a lot of coronary deaths but the AHA cited it as one of their core trials, which is really interesting. What's also interesting, though, are the medications that these people were on. One was thioridazine. There were other drugs known as phenothiazines that they were also on, as well as other psychostimulants. And what they looked at was the amount of these medications they relied on during each diet period. So in Hospital N, during the norm diet period, they were on twice as many medications for whatever reason. I have no idea why that was. Maybe the SCL diet, you know, alleviated some of their mental health system uh, symptoms. I have no idea. All I know is that you can see that the total number of drugs is like two to three times higher for each category. For thioridazine, the total phenothiazines and psychostimulants. In Hospital K, the pattern was actually the opposite. During the norm diet, the diet where they ate more saturated fat, they were on half as many medications, uh, sometimes a third less. Now, looking at how these drugs work, though, um, there were plenty of studies from the 60s that actually found that they were associated with the same exact ECG changes that they were looking for in this study, as well as causing sudden unexplained death. And sudden unexplained death is mostly caused by some kind of heart problem. I don't know the details of how these drugs affect the ECG, but when I wrote the post, I found several studies from the same era that this study was published showing that it could, have, could be associated with sudden unexplained death. So this is a really strong confounder, and the authors of the Finnish Mental Hospital study basically said, you know, it's not enough drugs to cause this. The thing is, in modern studies now, they usually do these analyses where they uh, adjust for all the confounding factors. Now, back then, they didn't do these kinds of statistics. They didn't know about it. So it's not enough to just say that the drugs, you know, it's not enough drugs to cause these problems. So in sum, uh, in this study, patients on the saturated fat diet were not only eating more uh trans fats, they were also on medications the whole time. And in one hospital, they were on twice as many medications during the saturated fat diet. And the other one, they were on uh, less medications. Specifically in hospital K, they ate way more trans fat during the saturated fat trial. Remember, trans fats are hydrogenated fats, so they become saturated but they were on less medications, but they also had um, three times the number of heart attacks in that study. The results almost approach statistical significance, but not quite. In hospital N, on the other hand, the amount of total heart attacks was pretty much the same during both trials. Uh, however, they did take more uh, medications that affect the heart, antidepressants and thyroidazine, during the saturated fat trial. 
So I don't, I don't know, honestly, what happened. I don't know what happened. But this is what the AHA said about this particular study. I quote, in each hospital, CHD events, coronary heart disease events, were lower during the times when the polyunsaturated fat diet was given. Results were similar in men and women. So what we have to realize is that these people have PhDs, MDs, they know all the lingo, they know a little bit about methodology, some people know a lot about methodology, but from my understanding, it's not like these people are taught what accurate methodology is in the medical school curriculum, that's more like an extra add-on. But they insist that people had fewer events when that wasn't even a significant finding in that study that anyone with a college degree who knows what statistical significance is can figure out. So it's just really strange that an organization that, you know, pretends to care about your heart health would cite a study from the 1960s and 70s that doesn't use, you know, adjusted statistical models to figure out what the hell is going on and basically says that eating more polyunsaturated fat lowers your cholesterol and prevents heart disease. So it's just uh, blasphemous. It's, it's unconscionable. It should be a crime, honestly, to do this. And they completely ignored the fact that uh, people ate more trans fats from common margarine in this study, especially in Hospital K. So their analysis was pretty terrible, and they cannot be trusted whatsoever. What all of this cemented for me was that, you know, I already suspected this, but the American Heart Association, as I mentioned, sells statins, wants, makes money off of statins, makes money off this idea they have purported in their report incorrectly. And that's the bias. So money runs everything, guys. Even in this world of natural health, podcasts and whatnot, people often, uh, their message can get diluted based on where they get their money and where they get their funding from. So it's really important to look at sources. So the AHA gets money from Mazola, a company that makes corn oil. They tweeted about their report uh, pretty much like the same day it was published. So all of this shows us, you know, who's in bed with who and where the information is tied to, which people the information is tied to. So I aim to be completely untethered in that regard, and I plan to be forever, and just promote the common sense, the ideas to you guys for your optimal health. So what's the takeaway from this podcast? Uh, the takeaway is that a lot of the information you see is really biased, even if it's from organizations that you think are trustworthy. So I would recommend doing your best to look at the research and ask people why. Ask people to elaborate and see where they crack. If they start to really try to hold on to their belief system, then that's good evidence that they don't really have a point, that they're trying really hard to push their belief system onto you. Um, that's something that I watch out for pretty much all the time. But other than that, um, I think you just have to take things with a grain of salt and test the different things out on yourself. Because unless you have the time to go do all this research yourself and you know, know how to read the research and understand it, which has a bit of a learning curve to it, then you know it's going to be hard for you to figure out who's trustworthy just based on evidence. There's tons of vegans, tons of guys in the keto community who have all the evidence in the world, at least they think they do, and it sounds great. It seems like it makes sense. So the only thing I can recommend to you is to test things out on yourself. 
So try out some coconut oil, see how it makes you feel. For me, I think it tastes like shit, so I don't eat coconut oil whatsoever. I do cook with it, but I do not consider it a food. <laughs> that being said, uh, I'm still going to defend the people that criticize the AHA because I think they have a point. And a lot of people have pointed out that there are these partnerships between the AHA and a lot of these uh, government organizations and major players in the food industry. So that is a wrap, guys. That's what bad science looks like. So I encourage you to take things you see online with a grain of salt. I will talk to you next time.